All right, well, let's pray then. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And we just pray tonight, Lord, that we would open our hearts to receive your word. Lord, as, as we say, Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday in and Wednesday out, we just want to sit at your feet and hear what you have for us, Lord. And we'll just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tonight, I was left with a dilemma a couple of weeks ago about what to teach. And so, Nate really, uh, I'm sorry, but I can't do this and, and all that. I'll, I'll be dropping my Bible and my notes and everything and be flying all over the place. So, anyway, if I was uh, 20, 30, 40 years younger, maybe, but, uh, but I'm not. So anyway, um, this week we were supposed to go through the last part of Nehemiah and Esther, and then the first seven chapters of Job. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, next week it's going to be all Job. Uh, but so I was left with, what am I going to teach? You know, am I going to teach Nehemiah? Am I going to teach Esther? Am I going to teach Job? The Lord put it on my heart, um, actually probably a couple of weeks ago, that uh, it was Job. It was Job. And I, that may seem strange because, you know, I mean, Nehemiah is a great teaching. I mean... Nehemiah is uh, such an example for us of what godly leadership is all about and how, how caring Nehemiah was for the people and the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. And, um, you know, I'm just going to touch on that just for a second. Um, you know, some great examples uh, of leadership in the Bible and, and, and people who cared and were really good leaders. Um, Abraham. I mean, Abraham went to Sodom, rescued Lot. Uh, Moses, he cared about um, the Israelites and the Hebrews so much that he gave up um, his, he, he could have probably been maybe the next Pharaoh even, but he gave all that up uh, to lead uh, the Israelites and the Hebrews uh, out of Egypt. David, he cared and brought the nation of Israel back to the Lord. Esther, which we read this week, she cared enough to rescue her people, and she put her life on the line to do that. Um, moving to the New Testament, Paul, he risked his life numerous times because he cared so much about spreading the gospel. And then finally, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he, went, he went to the cross for us. We know how compassionate and caring Jesus was. So I'm not going to go into a lot about Nehemiah uh, other than that, just to say that he was, he was a caring, caring uh, guy and that uh, he's, he's the type of person, if we are in a leadership uh, position we need to aspire to. Um, Esther, Esther is about God's providence and protecting his people. 
Um, you know, it's, it's such a great story, and I mean, that would have been so easy to teach that because it was, it was just, a, it's just such an awesome story. You know, it's got the good guys and the villains, and, and you know, the bad guy, you know, reaps what he sows, and, and um, you know, it's poetic justice and all that. Um, but suffice to, suffice it to say, um, God was, was protecting his people through Esther and Mordecai. And, um, you know, we have choices, um, and choices are our main focus in the book of Esther and how Mordecai uh, decided to, um, you know, promote Esther uh, to go. And anyway, there's just so many. I can't get in depth on that because there's just not enough time to, to do everything tonight um, with those books. But um, they, Esther and, and her people were in circumstances uh, that were out of control. And um, the thing about it is they worked out for good. And why did they work out for good? Because Esther trusted in the Lord and uh, so did her uncle Mordecai. So we just, when we leave the results in the hands of the Lord, uh, we're not going to fail. Things may not always come out the way we want them to, but uh, tonight um, I'm going to focus on another man whose life seemed out of control uh, due to his circumstances. And uh, that guy's name is Job. Um, a little historical background, Job. Uh, we think that, um, well, first of all, Job starts out uh, a new section of the Bible, of the Old Testament specifically. You know, the first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch. Um, the next group of texts are all historical, um, and that covers from Joshua through Esther, actually. And now we're going to go into the poetic books of the Bible, which start with Job. And that may seem kind of weird that Job is considered a, a poetic book, but it is, uh, you know, Hebrew poetry isn't like our poetry, so uh, we can't we can't equate it because things don't rhyme and this and that and the other. So, uh, but anyway, that starts that and it runs through um, uh, Ecclesiastes. So there's five more, uh, uh, or four, actually four more besides Job. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, and uh, Song of Songs. How could I forget that? I just taught that not long ago. <laughs> And then, and then we have the prophets, the major and minor prophets, uh, as the last part of the Old Testament, and that's the last uh, section of the, uh, of the Old Testament as far as how it's divided out. Um, I want to stress so much that Job is a real man. You know, there, a lot of conjecture say that Job is maybe this fictitious guy, and you know, it's it's kind of like um, you know another guy we're going to be hearing about real soon named Jonah, and you know, 
so many people say, oh, well, that was just a myth, and that was just a story, and, you know, it's all, it's all a neat story, but it's, but it's not really true. But it is true, and Job, um, you know, in, in actually in Genesis chapter 10, there's a man named called Jobab, and many commentators think that this guy may have been Job. We do know that Job probably was lived somewhere in the time period between uh, Noah and Abraham. Uh, so, and it's also the commentators that I read said that Job may be actually the oldest book in the Bible. Now, obviously it doesn't predate the first part of Genesis and creation, but you know, Noah, and Abraham, it was somewhere around 2000 BC uh, that, that those guys lived. Uh, why, why else do we think that Job uh, uh, may have lived in that time period was his, his wealth was mainly measured in um, the sheep and the livestock that he had. And, and so that's another reason. Another reason is we learn, uh, and I'm not going to go into exactly that chapter, but uh, he lived 140 years after all of his calamities and everything. And so that kind of falls into how the, uh, those patriarchs that lived during that time period, you know, they all lived uh, long lives and had longevity. Um, Anyway, all this is just to say that Job was a real man in a real time period in history, and he was suffering in a situation that was really, it's irreconcilable without God and without the trust in God. Um, as, as I just talked about the Bible being broken up into sections, we can kind of break uh, the book of Job up into some sections too. Uh, chapters one and two are pretty much about uh, Job's dilemma and how he came to this point of, of uh, all the suffering that he was doing. And then chapters three through 37 talks about his three buddies and then a fourth guy joins them and how all this kind of really messed up theology that they, they throw at Job and they're convinced that he's a hypocrite or that he, he has some secret sin he's hiding and, and that's why that he's going through all the things that he's going through. And then the last uh, from uh, chapter 38 to the end of the book, uh, chapter 42, that's when God comes on the scene and he kind of straightens out Job and he straightens out his buddies. But, you know, it has a happy ending because Job, um, he regains everything that he lost. So that's kind of the way the whole, the whole book of Job is broken down. And... Uh, even though, and I know in chapter 42, um, God never mentions Job's suffering, but uh, he only answer, asks him questions that he can't answer. You know, Job, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but, but I'm going to concentrate mainly on the first chapter here in just a second. But 
I want, uh, so many of the other parts of it are, are, are relevant as well uh, to Job's deliverance. And, uh, you know, all through uh, most of the rest of the book, uh, Job's asking, the, asking a lot of questions, you know, and, and questions that he can't answer. And so at the end of the book, God starts asking Job questions about, you know, but they're questions that he can't answer as well. Um, we must uh, remember, and I see this throughout, I, this, this Bible I have here, I will hold it up like this one time, this Bible I have here is, uh, has the commentary of, uh, of a guy named Warren Wearsby, and I know Scott's talked to him, about him a lot, and uh, he, he has uh, some great insights in, into um, Job, and one of the things that he says a lot throughout this whole Bible is we, we, don't, we can't live on explanations. God doesn't owe us an explanation about anything that's happening in our lives or anything that's happening anywhere else. You know, um, we trust God by faith. And uh, we live by that faith, not by explanations. Uh, so we need to remember this. Um, the main, one of the main themes in Job is uh, he's worthy of our trust, even when we can't understand uh, his ways in our lives. And uh, he's compassionate. He's a good God. He's a great God and everything. And we just, we have to remember that. So we're going to dig into the text a little bit now, uh, starting um, Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. What a great opening statement for a guy, right? I mean, uh, this guy's on top of it. Even though uh, the text says he's upright and he's blameless, that does not mean he's sinless. Because we know that there's no man that ever lived on this earth uh, that was sinless except for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, even though he was upright and blameless, it means he had integrity. The man did what was right. He shunned evil and, and didn't let evil rule his life. He, um, so verse 2, it says, And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so, this, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now, there's also conjecture about where Uz was. Um, most uh, commentators say that it was located in Edom, and that there's a good chance that Job was a Gentile. And... Um, Obviously, he was a guy who prospered. Um, evidently, he knew how to grow sheep and 
uh, take care of livestock. And we know that uh, God blesses uh, families and blesses couples with big families. And he had a big family. He had, you know, 10 children. And so it's all evidence that uh, Job was doing something right. But and we're going to get into this a little later. Just because he was doing the right things, that does not necessarily mean that that's why God was blessing him. And we have to, you know, it's so easy to say that, oh, well, you know, God is uh, just blesses people. And this is what the argument Satan's going to throw up uh, in here in just a minute is that Job is the only reason he follows you, the only reason he worships you is because of what you're giving. And until I started um, studying this, I didn't realize that there are actually churches out there that believe in this prosperity type of theology. Um, I agree with Damon, Damien Kyle who said uh, he thinks that that's demonic. And I'd have to agree with him because that's totally off of what the whole Bible says. We don't, God doesn't bless us just because we follow him. Otherwise, we'd all be just robots, right? Walking around saying, oh, yeah, God, you're really good. You're really good. And, and you know, just to try and get his blessing. And, and you know, but uh, that would be more about covetousness. And so... We have to stay, stay away from that. We have to stay away from that, that kind of thinking. Um, Job wasn't sinless, but he was blameless and upright. And these characteristics are, are, uh, of Job are repeated more than once in the text here. Uh, verse 8 in this chapter and then in the second uh, chapter also. Uh, God call, and this is God who calls him upright and blameless. Um, he had wealth as well as a loving family and as well as uh, possessions. Uh, he maintained good priorities, um, and that was by sacrificing for his children. And um, so it says in verse 4, and his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So I'm not sure... Um, Kind of seems like some of his kids might have been party animals. I don't know. I mean, they were feasting and partying all the time and eating and drinking. And uh, maybe that's the reason he was afraid they were going to say something. We don't know that. But the point is that he loves his children. He cares for his children enough to offer sacrifices for them. And, And that just goes to show you more about his integrity and, and the love he has for his children. 
Now we're getting into the meat of it here. Satan attacks Job's character, uh, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Kind of a rhetorical question, right? God knows where everybody's at, where they come from, and, and so on and so forth. And the sons of God, uh, it says here, they're, they're actually the angels. And, uh, you know, it comes up a lot, too, about, how, well, how come Satan's in heaven? Well, God limits Satan uh, to what he can and can't do, but he still has access, obviously, to Satan or to uh, heaven. So a Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. So we know Peter tells us that uh, Satan goes to and fro on the earth looking for those whom he may devour, like a roaring lion, Peter says. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So there it is again. God calls Job upright and blameless. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his, possession have and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, the, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So. As I said, uh, the angels are meeting up, and, and God allows Satan to, to come up there and, and do certain things. But um, we all—it's it's curious here that he said that Satan says he's protecting him with a hedge around him. You know, because we—you know—Paul calls us saints, right? We're saints, and because of that. We know that, that um, God puts a hedge of protection around us as well. When you love God, when you trust God, He protects you. Now, that doesn't mean that we're never going to have sickness. That doesn't mean that we're never going to have grief. But what it does mean, and, and it, Obviously, Satan has been poking on that hedge, trying to get in, but God is protecting Job, and he can't get in. Um, why? That's a big, big question, isn't it? Why did God allow Satan to do what he did to Job? Um, we're not quite there yet, but um, anyway, I'm going to go on and, and read this next section here. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkey, donkeys feeding beside them. 
when, and that's when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans, Chaldeans formed, these three, formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the swords, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And finally, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people. And they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all these things Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Why do good things or to bad why do bad things happen to good people? And that's that's an ever present question in our society, in this world of ours. Why does a loving God let bad things happen? There's no simple, there's no easy answer to that. The one thing that we do learn and, and I think it's most important that, that God loves us, first of all. He created us. He created us to worship him. Why does he let Satan do the things he does? Well, again, I think if we had nothing else, God gives us choices. And if we didn't have another choice to make, well, then... I, it would kind of all be pointless, right? I mean, the whole, I don't know. I, I'm just speaking from my opinion now. The whole, the whole of creation just wouldn't seem to make a lot of sense um, from this perspective of, of, of God and why he, why he let Satan uh, do these things. Um, do we choose to love God? and worship and follow him? Or do we follow the path that leads to destruction? And, and that's the, the point of the whole thing. Uh, Satan, he has these schemes that he wants to weave in our lives and, and he wants to take us down with him. Um, but only those who receive blessings, he, he wants us to tell us that only those who receive blessings from God will worship him. Again, that's this uh, prosperity th theology thing. Um, you think Job was having a bad day when all those things happened? I mean, I've had bad days before, but nothing to even compare to anything like that. 
and I can't even imagine the grief and the pain that he was going to. Um, I mean, tore his robe, shaved his head, but what did he do? He fell to the ground and he worshiped God. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. You see, Job had integrity. I don't know how he could have peace in his heart at that, at that time, but somehow he did. His integrity was intact. He was blameless and upright before God, and he controlled himself. He controlled himself. God lets us go through things at times that um, ultimately they, they're there to build our character. And uh, we must remember, and how many times have we heard this, that God is God and we aren't. And we can ask all these why questions and why this and why that and why is this happening to me? Why? You know, and we can feel sorry for ourselves and pity and, and all that, but the only thing that we can count on and rely on is God and His promises in our life because He has promised us that uh, what is it? Jeremiah 29, 11, right? <laughs> I can't quote it. I know you can, Drew, but it's, it's uh, he, he, has, he has a plan for us for good and not for evil. And, uh, and we need to remember that. Um, Job's story is interesting in the fact that it does confirm what Isaiah uh, said in Isaiah 55 that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Um, without recognizing this, this fact, our lives can become hopeless, really. And uh, how can we worship a God whose ways and thoughts aren't higher than ours? Um, I read a quote by a guy named uh, uh, Phillips and he's he says, if our God was small enough for us to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. And how true, and how many different pastors have you heard say, say that as, as well. Um, Job, he learns toward the end of his circumstances that God is greater uh, in wisdom. He's greater in knowledge. And he's greater in understanding than anyone else. And he doesn't always do things the way that we want them to be done. And in the time frame, especially, I mean, we're people who want things done right away, right now, right now. I need this, I need it. I need this and I need it now. It's like that money commercial. I need money and I need it now. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, God's timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. And he knows us, he knows what we need, and he will provide it. Uh, we do, and we just sang it in that song. Um, 
He doesn't always do things the way we want them to be done or give, give us an answer to why, but I do appreciate the fact that he knows more than I do, and uh, I'm secure in that fact uh, because even if I don't like what he's doing, that it's in my best interest. And it's in my best interest to just keep going and to say, Lord, your will be done. And uh, we know, um, you know, that's, that's exactly what Jesus said in, at Gethsemane. Surrender and faith, those are our gates to the narrow path, and, and we need to concentrate on that. Even in our darkest times and circumstances, um, there's so much darkness um, in our world. It seems like in the last year it's, it's been multiplied even more, but, you know, we just got to remember that there's a light that shines brighter than any darkness, and that light is Jesus Christ, our one and only Savior. And uh, I, I just think about in Romans, uh, where, where Paul says, uh, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Study that verse. Remember that verse. God loves us. God cares for us. All he wants from us is a relationship with him and for us to love him back. He's our father, and he's made us heirs. So thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you tonight for your goodness, for your mercy. And Lord, I know that right now that there may be people uh, sitting right here who are going through things that uh, they can't understand why, that are painful, that are causing suffering, whether it be emotional or physical. But Lord, we know that we know when we trust in you that all these things will work out for our good. They may not work out the way that we think they should, Lord, but we know you see the big picture and we know how much you love and care for us. So lead us and guide us tonight, Lord, as we leave this place. And help us when the opportunity presents itself to just share your word and to just show others how much joy there is in a relationship, an intimate relationship with you, Lord. And we'll give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.